Hello everyone, welcome to mastermind.fm. This is John Galea from WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator. And today with me, I have Bjorn Forsberg, who's a Shopify app developer. He's developed um, three or four apps. We'll, we'll discover this in, in today's episode. And the idea of having Bjorn on board is to kind of compare and contrast the Shopify and WordPress ecosystems. And it's been a very interesting episode with Bjorn. Um, he's also shared some revenue numbers and also some pitfalls that you might have in developing apps for Shopify, but not only Shopify, but also for WordPress, or it can be applied to anything. So I think a lot of the lessons we learn in today's podcast can be applied to WordPress as well and to other, you know, kind of software development initiatives. Um, I'll leave you to it. It's been a great episode. Make sure you check out the show notes too, as they contain some links to the stuff that Bjorn mentions in today's episode. So without further ado, let's get on with uh, interviewing Bjorn Forsberg about Shopify apps. So Bjorn, welcome to the show. Welcome to mastermind.fm. We're glad to have you with us to share your Shopify story. Thanks very much. Uh, great to be here. So let's dive right into it. Tell us about uh, your story. I've, I know you, I've read some posts from your website, which mm-hmm. are very interesting. Um, you haven't really updated much your no. blog recently, so <laughs> I guess we have some catching up to do. Yeah. But uh, this, the story itself is really interesting. So please share that with our audience. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my name is Bjorn Forsberg. Um, I build the apps for the Shopify platform. Um, and something I've been doing for about uh, five and a half, almost six years now. Um, and it originally started out sort of as a, a side project. Um, I wanted to do something online. And originally I was planning to sell something uh, like in an online store. Um, and yeah, I was sort of thinking uh, or researching how would I sell something online. Um, and I came across Shopify and that's in that way. Um, and then I saw sort of in their partner section or in the forums that uh, people were doing these apps. And I really liked the idea of being able to, um, how would you say, have a very small warehouse where of nothing, it's basically a computer. Uh, you could scale out to as easily having, you know, a thousand customers instead of, you know, a hundred and not sitting there all night sort of packing orders and things like that. Just um, to stop you for a minute. Sure. Um, if you could, just to give more context, what's your background before that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was working for a for like seven years uh, for an investment bank here in uh, Denmark, mm-hmm. um, and I was doing sort of project product management. Um, in the end, I did many jobs. I started out in customer services and then uh, um, some account management, and then got into more of the IT side of things. Um, started to design um, applications or, or systems, I guess you could say. Um, and eventually became sort of the product manager for their CRM system for some of their online uh, web things. Um, yeah, so I was, I was doing that sort of full time. Yeah, before I got into. So before we continue with the story, I'd like because there's a, a transition here that we're seeing. So yeah, you got into the IT side, and then obviously you needed to choose. I guess you had the aspirations to make some software, obviously to make money. Yeah, and. Uh, so how you chose uh, Shopify is probably an interesting topic to talk about. And yeah. obviously how you had to develop these skills for Shopify development. Yeah. So I, I don't want to interrupt your story. No, so that's okay. No, it's, it's good. Um, yeah. So I didn't actually know how to code when I, when I started. I, I designed software and I understood sort of the, the process behind how you build software. 
from, you know, I'd, I'd made requirements for building software for quite a while. Um, and then, yeah, I, I really wanted to have sort of a little, uh, something else more than the nine to five sort of grind. Um, and so, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't code or anything like that. So I thought, well, I want to do software because it makes a lot of sense. And Shopify seems like something that's growing. So it made a lot of sense there. Um, and there was actually some, some forum posts by their customers sort of asking for certain types of apps. So that's how I right. sort of came up across the, the first idea from that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really just a, a side business I wanted to run on the side. And it was a side business for, for quite a few years. Um, but there, yeah, so I couldn't code and, and wanted to build something. I, I kind of designed it because I'd done requirements and things like that before. Um, and then I started looking for a company to outsource to. I thought, okay, I'll go overseas because it's cheaper. And then sort of trying to select the right outsourcing partner. Um, I wanted to do it in sort of Ruby on Rails, mainly because Shopify uh, used to Ruby on Rails and a lot of the documentation was, was in that. So I figured, okay. Um, and I also sort of learned that it was maybe a, an easier language to pick up than a lot of others. So, you know, my plan was, of course, to, to learn along the way, uh, but then trying to find an outsourcing partner. So this is in sort of 2011, 2012, and I did the specs for it and then selected a, an outsourcing partner. Um, it, it wasn't the most sort of, how would you say, scientific uh, way of selecting somebody, but sort of my, my uh, idea behind selecting an a outsourcing partner was to um, look at their website mainly. Uh, there's amazing amount of outsourcing, you know, people that can do coding work that have terrible websites. Um, and so I really went on, you know, if they can deliver quality on their own stuff, then maybe they can deliver quality on something else. And luckily I found a really good place, um, who were also willing to do sort of MVP, small, small style apps, which is really what I needed. You know, a lot of these companies, the bigger companies, they do, you know, big, big, big projects and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I gave them the specs and $2,000 and about a month later, they sort of delivered me their first version. Um, it's my orderly print app, which, uh, is still going really strong today. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got started at least from there. Yeah. It's, it's grown, uh, quite a bit, but, uh, for the first couple of years, it was really just doing support. And then, um, as you know, money, I actually got a customer the first day I put the app up, which is fantastic. Right. Um, and they've actually, and that's something I guess, uh, many people dream of, you know, to have the man from day one. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't like crazy demand or anything like that. It was, you know, one or two and three. And, you know, back then the, the Shopify app store um, really didn't have that many apps in it. I think there was like 30 apps when I first started. There's about 1500 now. Um, mm -hmm. So being discovered back then was a lot easier. Um, but the pricing that people took for their apps was a lot lower. So, you know, we're starting out like uh, four or five dollars a month or something like that. Um, yeah. And then so money started coming in already the first few months, but uh, I didn't know how to code. So I do, you know, design new specifications and things like that, and then give it back to, to my outsourcing partner, um, who then sort of say, okay, well, from your specs, it's going to take this much. And then either I'd remove a feature or, or add another one if I had enough money for that. And then it just kept improving in that way. Um, yeah, and, and obviously that, that kept going and I was just answering emails at night. It took me maybe 30 minutes a day to keep everything running. Um, mm -hmm. and then working normally during the day. And I kept doing that for maybe uh, two years, I guess, before I sort of, uh, it got large enough that I felt, okay, well, I'm, 
basically making money for my outsourcing partner. Um, you know, I'm getting all this revenue in and I'm giving them all the revenue. So I started to get more into sort of reading about coding and, and things like that. And the way I kind of, it, it, I had an advantage in that I designed the software. So I knew, you know, when somebody clicks this, this is exactly what should happen. So, so to read the source code was easier once I knew the basics of how things are routed mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But then, you know, it's kind of reverse engineering your own, your own system, right? Um, and then I started adding small little features or doing little bug fixes myself and then just growing from there. Um, yeah, and then uh, it was in 2013, um, I decided to build another application. Uh, it was basically a version two of the same app. Um, but this time, you know, the first one started as a, an MVP with, with uh, you know, just the minimum sort of uh, product uh, features needed to, to show that it worked and that it was usable for people. But as you, as you get sort of customer requests coming in, you know, it's saying, hey, this would be a great idea. But the way it was built, it wasn't possible to do it. So I decided, right, I'll uh, I'll rebuild the entire application or have my outsourcing partner rebuild it. And with, you know, the kitchen sink, everything. And it's a really bad idea. Uh, <laughs> it, it cost like $15,000 to have the second uh, version made. And... It was just too complicated, too many things. It, a bunch of things that people hadn't asked for as well because I thought they were a good idea. Um, the idea was also to make it so modular so I could take it outside of the Shopify ecosystem, go with uh, some of the other e-commerce platforms like uh, BigCommerce and things like this. Um, but yeah, it was just a, it was a lesson in what not to do. Um, you know, I've always heard sort of, oh, don't rebuild an application, but that was kind of my proof that it was a bad idea. It was just too complicated, too many moving parts. Uh, delivered late, yeah, everything that could go wrong. But it, it's been sort of chugging along, um, and I'm actually shutting it down at the end of this month. Uh, so it's been going along for, for a few years and paying for itself, but now it's getting to a point where it causes a lot more headaches than it's worth. That's something we can, that we can get into as well a bit later. Yeah. So on your post, you have like this post from 2014, I guess, uh, I believe, yeah. where you share some details on revenue and the three products. I wonder if you you could just share on how things have progressed from then and even the share between products, how you developed further products based on that first product. Yeah. So to give a bit of of context back in 2014, I guess it was when I wrote that post, um, my revenue is about $7,000 a month. Um, But that was before Shopify get their 20%. They get 20% of of the the fees, much like the Apple App Store. And at that point, it wasn't enough to sort of quit my job and, and do it full time. Um, it was a nice little side income and everything. And then in 2015, uh, Shopify... Uh, just as, and as an aside, I guess it's worth mentioning that you're living in Copenhagen, which isn't exactly a cheap city. No, exactly. Because like, uh, that money can get you uh, a lot of things in other countries or, or, or cities, but yeah, absolutely happens to be very expensive. And we actually it had is, yeah. the, another company from Denmark, Codable. Okay. Uh, from Copenhagen again, just I think two or three episodes ago. Ah, right. They're obviously focused on outsourcing in the WordPress space, but yeah. So we, ah. we had some similar discussions with them too. Okay. So anyway, you are saying? Yeah, <laughs> it's an expensive place. So um, and then fifty percent tax as well doesn't doesn't exactly help. Well, but I, I had a good, I had a really good income from from working uh, full time. It was it was a, a good income. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't something you just want to sort of give up uh, uh, easily. Um, we just had uh, our second kid um, as well, so little family and things. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, then in 2015, Shopify launched a free app which did um, similar things to to what my original Audley Print did. It's it's a print app where you print off sort of invoices and packing slips and labels for for the orders that you got in your store. Um, and they released a free version, which could also print, you know, multiple uh, things. And that obviously took a hit on, on Audley Print. But then I found out that the uh, their version is called Order Printer. To, you get sort of a standard design in that app. Um, and to make any changes, you need to be able to code uh, Liquid to sort of put in new variables or to put in your logo and make it look nice. And I thought, well... If you can't sort of beat them, uh, join them. So I built my second or third, I guess you could say, app, um, which is a sort of template designer. Um, you pick a design that you like, and then it loads up in an editor where you make changes and things like that. Um, upload your logo without having to touch any code. And then at the end, you purchase it for a one-time fee. Um, and then it spits out the code, which you then use in Shopify's app. Um, but that actually really took off uh which is quite strange because it's it's an app based on another niche app. But Shopify have a lot of customers and it's a free app of theirs. So there's obviously a need for it. And at that point, then my revenue really started to rise as well. And it looked like I would be able to um, move into doing it sort of full time. Um, and I was, you know, I'd been at, uh, at the bank for you know, seven years at that point and I wasn't really learning anything new. It was a fantastic place to work, but I wasn't learning more. So it just felt like, okay, the, the right time to sort of try and do it. Um, and I think at that point, I was up to about 75% of my, my normal sort of salary um, from my apps, which uh, I guess it was around $10,000 a month or something like that. Um, but the, the one-time fee really seemed to sort of resonate with a lot of people. So it was uh, selling more and more all the time. And, and obviously, by the time I, I, I decided then, oh, we spoke with my, my wife and we sort of looked it over and she, she was sort of shaking her head going, are you sure about this? Um, <laughs> as, as they should. Um, but then, yeah, I decided to sort of take the leap. Um, and I had three months of paternity leave coming up uh, as well. So I was able to sort of uh, stop working. And then I had three months to sort of uh, where I was still receiving full pay um, to get everything in order and then, you know, get ready for, for going full time. Um, up to this point, I'd really been only spending maybe an hour, maybe two, uh, sometimes when I wanted to build something more. Um, so going, and I thought, okay, if I'm able to grow it to this size, um, uh, part time, then, you know, uh, maybe if I go full time, then I can grow it into something a bit more. Um, and yeah, so I did it and, uh, it worked out really well. I used sort of that, that those three months that I had before, you know, I really had to make it work um, to also build sort of better metrics for myself. I put out a, a, how would you say, an open source little project uh, on GitHub for Shopify partners so you can get better metrics out of out of the, the payments that you're getting from mm-hmm. them. So that was a really good way to see that, hey, this is actually really healthy. It's growing. Uh, it's growing nicely. And then... Uh, since then, I sort of launched another app, which is uh, similar to the last one, where it's sort of a, a theme designer, I guess you could say, but it's for email templates, also for Shopify. Um, and that one's also growing at about the same pace, which is fantastic. So um, it's grown into a, a pretty good little business where, you know, I'm, I'm able to use uh, the amount of time that I, I want to use on it. 
um, and then do something that I really love and, and get paid quite well for it. So it's been, it's been a good journey. Mm. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> so the first time I came across your website was actually because I was looking for metric solutions. Mm. And, uh, I came across your GitHub repo. Yeah. Okay. Ah, <laughs> ah good. It's <laughs> a good way to find yeah. it. That was useful. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess you so can't really that, use it for too much though. That, but now that I mentioned that, I guess it would be good if you could share some of the essential metrics that you use or that people can implement in their own businesses. Yeah, now absolutely. From the WordPress, from the WordPress kind of perspective. Yeah. I see a lot of people just developing plugins. There are thousands of plugins, uh-huh. many people making money, but now we're starting to grow as an industry and mature. And okay. people want to introduce some metrics, some objectives, yeah. make things more measurable than just, than just getting their three or 10 K a month and yeah. not knowing where the money is going and if they're profitable at all. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the main ones, it's kind of also what I can extract from, from the data that Shopify give us. Right. So it's basically out of the payment file that we get from them, which just which puts a row for every person that's uh, given me a payment. Um, but from that, you can actually work out quite a bit. So obviously revenue growth is, is the main one, right? Um, and, and I, I think growth, you know, percentages are always more interesting than, than absolute numbers. Um, being able to sort of, you know, see, am I growing this month? Am I, you know, are the numbers looking healthy? Um, from that, I'll just quickly open it up here so I can, I can give a bit more detail, but, uh, uh, revenue numbers, user numbers. I'll split it up into recurring revenue, which is sort of my first app, and then this one-time revenue, which are run a lot more like e-commerce stores, I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. They're actually based, or they are Shopify stores as well. So the front end is a Shopify store where you pick your design, and then it loads up in an app. But uh, uh, average revenue per user is another good one. Um, obviously, seeing if you can if you can cross sell, uh, if you can upsell them. Um, so if you've got multiple plugins or something like that, then okay, you get them in on one of the apps. Are you able then to to cross promote and get them to use some of your other things? Let's see here on recurring, you've got churn, which is super important to have a look at. Uh, basically, how many people are dropping off every month? What percentage? Obviously, your growth needs to be bigger than your churn. Uh, otherwise, you're you're in a losing so, business. So churn is something that many people in the WordPress space will be looking at in a closer way because traditionally plugins were sold without any kind of recurring hmm. um, subscription in place. And yeah. we've seen during the past two years, many people implementing subscriptions, which means that there's a higher chance of people actually renewing for another year. Yeah, okay. And yeah. the difference between uh, plugins and a SaaS app is that with a SaaS app, you need access and you need a subscription to continue using the product. Hmm. Whereas with a plugin, you have the source code. Yeah. So you can technically keep using the plugin without having any kind of license in place. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar actually to, to the two apps that I'm selling where it is much like a plugin. Uh, it's spitting out some code at the end, which you then take it and put over into Shopify. Yeah. But I, th- I think that, yeah, that's that's the tough part as well, because you do want to, you know, you want to make it fair. So, you you know, people are getting value from what they're paying you. But you also find that a lot of people come back, you know, three months, six months, 12 months later, asking questions and things like that. Um, and especially if you have any kind of hosting costs related to, to hosting that plugin, I think like a yearly yearly subscription really makes sense in that in that place, even if it's just sort of a, hey, you can continue using it for as long as you want. But if you want to log in and update things or, or you want to get support, then you need to subscribe for another year. Um, it's something I'm looking at. Um, 
but obviously the the whole one-time fee has, has really worked well for me so i want to be careful about how i do that yeah another couple of things that i'm tracking here uh average revenue lifetime value is quite interesting as well it's really your sort of average revenue per per user and uh, how much you're churning so you can work out okay on average how long am i going to keep these people and how much they're going to pay me over that lifetime um and yeah and, and keeping those numbers healthy obviously the lower your churn the higher your lifetime value is going to be um, but that also gives you an indication of if you wanted to go out and do some marketing spend uh, on that right if you if you're going to make a hundred dollars on this person yeah obviously if you can spend twenty dollars getting on board you've made eighty dollars mm-hmm. and that that makes a lot of sense for for recurring and then on one time i guess you can yeah, it's revenue, revenue per, average revenue per sale, every, average revenue per user, and then you've got repeat customers and sort of a number of sales. But yeah, and then I've got a few sort of graphs and percentages telling me, okay, uh, yeah. how am I growing and stuff like that. So, but yeah. And now, you could share the URL so that people can look it up. And, yeah, exactly. And more detail. Yeah, it's it's a Rails app. You, just, you can just boot it up or download it and boot it up uh, if you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll make sure to share it in the show notes as well. Yeah, perfect. Sounds good. All right. So, so your your plugins or apps have a renewal aspect, or is it just one time fee for now? Uh, so, two of the apps have a, a one time fee, and then the original one, Audley Print, uh, it's a renewal, so it's a it's mm-hmm. a recurring fee, um, which is fantastic. Uh, it also, you know, while I when I rebuilt it in 2013, then I started promoting the new one, and the old one sort of how to say it didn't grow at all um, during that time because I wasn't promoting it. Once I realized that it was actually the better better application than than the new version I'd built, then I sort of switched back. But it had been going really sort of no growth for, for quite some time while I had it out there. But then now um, it's really starting to grow again, getting some, some nice growth going. Um, yeah, so, so recurring revenue is fantastic. I mean, just having this sort of... Uh, with, with the one-time fee, you never know if, if something is going to come out tomorrow, but that just completely kills your business, right? But with recurring recurring revenue, people generally stick with what they're using, and, and if especially if it's working for them and things like that. So it just feels like a really good sort of safety net um, in that sense. And now, last month, it grew 10%, which is fantastic. I made some changes and, and also, you know, decided to really focus on that instead of the 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 version two i guess you could call it Mm -hmm. so it's been yeah it's been uh last month was my record month which is nice to see again would you like to share some revenue figures or sure it it, uh, last month i made twenty two thousand three hundred and fifty one dollars um after across my four apps yeah so yeah and that's after shopify have taken their 20 percent, which is which is pretty good um it's it's super healthy for for Copenhagen, at least, uh, we, it's yeah. You don't have to worry. Um, it's more than I made when I was uh, uh, full-time employed, I guess you could say, which is very nice. But uh, the the important part for me, at least, is that's sixty uh, percent growth from twelve months ago. So twelve months ago, I was making fourteen, uh, and now it's up to to twenty-two. So this last sort of, you know, uh, looking at my graphs and things, they're really spiking up, which is which is really nice to see. And what was the main contributor to that spike? Yeah, funnily enough, it's the the app that sells templates, uh, print templates. Now, hopefully, we don't get a bunch of people building the same app from me now. But uh, <laughs> but that um, that it's been really a really healthy business. the The downside of that one though is is that there's a lot of support. Um, mm. Obviously, because you're giving you sort of spitting out code at the end, um, and and the whole idea is hey, 
you don't need to touch code. So, you know, they use the editor and it's got all, a bunch of features to how to customize it and, and especially things dependent on Shopify, you know, special customizations that a lot of Shopify stores do or other apps that they're using that integrate and things like that. But there's always going to be the situation where, you know, uh, something in their country, the invoice needs to have a certain thing on. Or So you get a lot of questions about, hey, can you uh, add this? Can you can you add that? Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a support hog and it's something I really want to sort of uh, focus on the next couple of months as well because support's really taking more and more of my time which is good because obviously yeah. more and more people are using my apps but but uh yeah it'd be nice to be able to push so the growth forward. was because of the introduction of the app or because of some improvements within the app that existed before uh yeah improvements it's really across the board sort of um it's not really too many weeks that go by where i'm not making some change to one of or at least multiple apps uh, there's usually a new version of each app coming out, you know, every couple of days mm-hmm. where small fixes or a new feature or something like that, where I'm tweaking something to make it easier to use. Or I really enjoy sort of the whole UX side of things, trying to make things as super simple uh, to use as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And then usually around Christmas time, it's also a bit bit quiet. Um, so then after Christmas, I, I guess a lot of people are starting uh, Shopify stores and things like that. And I see a lot of new stores using my my template app, right? You're getting set up, you need to work out how you're going to invoice your customers or send send receipts along or packing slips and stuff. So I think it's also due to, you know, Shopify doing well or, you know, turning on their marketing machines after Christmas and things like that. But then, yeah, so it's a bit of everything, to be honest. That's very interesting. And the reason why I asked you, the main reason was that I wanted to compare sort of across the revenues with the WordPress side of things and with regards to plugins. Hmm. And also what's interesting is that you mentioned the seasonality aspect, which we don't really see that much with a WordPress since it's a more generic tool. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I guess people of all industries are using WordPress, you know, for all kinds of different things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although WooCommerce is really growing fast and that, I guess, has some seasonality aspect as it's like compared to Shopify, yeah, which is also an e-commerce platform. Yeah. Well, you see sort of what I've seen over the years, at least, is that it sort of starts out the year quite slow and then it just slowly ramps up over the year. Around uh, summertime, it gets a bit, bit quieter as well. Mm. People are going on holidays and things. But then sort of the run up to towards the end of the year is, is usually really good as well. So it's nice to sort of learn those seasonalities as well, because the first few times you go, oh no, what, what's gone wrong? And, you know, <laughs> what, what's happening? Um, but once you learn to sort of, you know, you can feel the pulse of it. So it's good. Yeah, with WordPress, I think if you're doing a generic WordPress plugin, um, at least from what I've seen, you've got a, a dip in August and December mm-hmm. where people are kind of taking their holidays yeah. and then the air usually starts very strongly january february march are really strong and then it kind of varies randomly throughout the year but i've got friends who are into e-commerce and they're just disappear in the november december <laughs> months yeah they're so busy yeah yeah and especially with all the sales and things like that coming up uh, yeah. yeah definitely it's funny though uh, that blog post that i put out uh, years ago sort of talking about my my little journey or the first few years of it at least um Around January, I always get lots of emails from people sort of that have read it and are going to start there. It's really nice to sort of get, but it's funny that it's it's all in January um, because people are obviously, you know, either have done a New Year's resolution or something, they, they're going to start a new business. But uh, it's nice to get. And, and I've, there's quite a few people on Shopify now that, that started because they read that article, which is a nice sort of mm. thought as well, right? 
I think that's the perfect segue to talk about the Shopify ecosystem mm. and how it works. Because like most of our audience is ba- like doing products in the WordPress space. Yeah. And so I think it would be interesting to contrast and compare these two platforms. Also, because I've heard a lot of people recently who say that they want to diversify beyond WordPress. Mm-hmm. And I think you g- kind of give us this, uh, you make it seem like it's possible, even though like most of us are used to coding in PHP. Yeah. So well, Shop- you had to learn. Yeah. And Shopify have a, and I believe it's an official um, API uh, mm-hmm. in PHP, uh, API wrapper in PHP as well. But yeah, so so the Shopify, it, you know, Shopify obviously is for building stores, online stores. Um, also, they've got a, a point of sale app uh, for your for iPad and iPhone and things like that. So you can do in person sales as well. But most of it's uh, really online, um, and they have a partner program where it's sort of divided into three categories. You've got um, you know, people or, or agencies that do store builds for, for customers. Um, so they may be doing like a custom custom stores or helping them with their setup. Um, you've got theme designers, which are sort of the front end of, of the website. Um, they've got a theme store there, so you can go through and pick out your design. And that's a, a one-time purchase style thing there as well. And then they've got the app developers like me, where the way it really works is uh, you can sign up um, and then... Uh, the deal that's really made is is Shopify get 20% uh, and you get the 80%. And they've actually done it really well uh, as far as payments and things like that go because they have a whole payment platform as part of their API package. So um, I don't need to mess with, you know, gateways or merchant accounts or anything like that. There's You do a call. European VAT. No, exactly. <laughs> and that that's actually a, another point that I'll, I'll mention thing. as well because... Um, at the end of the day, it's actually Shopify selling it or they're invoicing the customer, right? So we don't have to worry about the VAT and all this type of thing. It's something that they're, they're taking care of, um, which makes up for the 20% that they take, right? Um, if I was paying, paying VAT for European customers, it'd be 25%. So, but yeah, and then, um, so they've got an excellent API as well, um, where it's really well documented. Um, and I think that's why you also see so many apps coming on because it's, you know, you, you can quite easily see if something's possible or not. Um, their support's really good. But yeah, so like I said, there's 1,500 apps in the App Store now. It's obviously more difficult to get started now than it was when I did, maybe. Um, if I launch a new app now, I have a mailing list of maybe 10, 10 15,000 people I can send something to. But it's definitely, definitely uh, possible. It depends what part you're getting into, right? Obviously, if you're going to be helping customers build their stores, then that's an easy way in as well, I think. Uh, theme theme design is is very difficult, and Shopify have a really stringent sort of criteria for getting a theme published. Um, they do reviews. They they check the design. If the design's not up to scratch, then they won't let it in. Uh, if it's too similar to some of the other themes that they they won't let them in and things like that. But obviously, if if you really know what you're doing, then then you can send them over. Then um, you sort of send them the design. Uh, you don't code at first. You you design it and send over the the PSDs or whatever it is, right? Um, okay. So they can approve it in that sense. Um, but yeah, then so and when so, you're when you're building an app, so you're mm. you're always integrating with Shopify via the API, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, don't see any any of Shopify's code. It's closed source. It is, yeah, absolutely. But they have uh, sort of they even have a Shopify app uh, gem for for Rails at least or for Ruby, where it's 
you can pull it down and you can have an app up and running connected to Shopify within sort of five, mm -hmm. 10 minutes. Um, right. Yeah. And then, so your, the app that you develop is hosted on your servers? Yeah, they're always hosted on, on our own servers. Um, so it's basically a, a standalone app that then connects to Shopify and does its, its things. Right. Um, you can use also the authentication from Shopify. So if somebody logs into their Shopify store and they go uh, into the app section and open your app, You don't, you don't have to ask them for a login. Um, you authenticate via Shopify to work out if they're logged in or not. Um, so it's quite a, quite a, a seamless experience uh, for the merchant. Um, and how do the customers actually install your app? Do they find it through yeah, Shopify's app store? Website? They have an app store, yeah. So okay. um, much like uh, the Apple App Store, but with better search. Um, so they, it's broken into categories. So you've got sort of marketing apps, you've got sales apps, uh, customer service, accounting tools, which is sort of a general category where actually most of my apps are. Um, my email apps in the marketing category and the other ones are in the tools sort of category. There's a shipping category, of course. Yeah, and so so merchants, um, they jump in there and then they search around. Obviously, the, the more reviews you can get for your app, the higher in the rankings in the app store you get within your category and, and you get discovered more. Um, so you just go through the, the app store, they click a sort of install button, um, And Shopify have a template, a little website that you log on where you can actually upload your own screenshots and write the text for your App Store page and things like that. You can up, uh, upload everything. And so the merchant, yeah, clicks install and they're sent over to your to your app where you do sort of a authentication and and get the initial, um, how would you say, uh, permissions to, to read data or write data to their store. Um, so, so, so this is all happening within their Shopify instance it is yeah yeah so the, it, it sort of opens they up don't go to your website and get anything from well there. they do actually so first they get to to our website um where uh -huh. if they've if we know uh, shopify passes along their sort of key um which store is this uh, when they send them over so as long as they've got that we can send them straight back uh, just a quick redirect and and then they're mm -hmm. sort of told okay hey you're going to install this app um it will have permissions to do these things and you can be quite uh, uh, granular about the permissions that you need. Obviously, you don't want to ask for too much or things that you don't need because people think, oh, why do you need to see all this, this data from my store? So you ask for the permissions that you need and then they can approve that. And once that's done, then you then we have access to pull the, that information from from their store. Yeah. Yeah, so once, you, once you've done that, then if obviously if it's a, a recurring um, fees style app, they also have the, the billing API, like I mentioned. But the good thing there is you can put, um, you know, trial periods. So say you give 30 day trial on, on your product as well. You can say, okay, well, send them over to the payment page, but say, hey, uh, you approve that you're going to pay this app, uh, let's say $10 a month. Um, but for the first 30 days, it's free. And then they can approve that. And once they've approved that, then they can obviously use your app and, and do what they like. And then Shopify will automatically collect that that money from from their Shopify account, the same sort of credit card that they use for their other Shopify things. Um, and then they send us 80% of that every two weeks or every 15 days. Um, we right. get a payment okay. from from Shopify. Mm, that's, that definitely seems like a more streamlined experience compared to the WordPress space where you have to download the zip file, install it on your installation yeah you've got to worry about all these people having different servers so support is a nightmare yeah yeah well, i guess handle your own um payment gateways and nuances yeah 
Well, I guess somebody should come in and build a, a standardized <laughs> way for that. But, but I guess that's the good thing about WordPress as well, right? Is that it is, you can do your things your own way. I, I like that Shopify have all these different things uh, to make life easy for us. But, but if, for example, um, their API, the billing is not able to do yearly subscriptions. So, you know, mm-hmm. what's, it's quite common in, in, uh, SAS to sort of do, you know, Hey, uh, tw- monthly it's $10. If you pay for a year, it's only $8 a month but you pay for the full year up front. You can't, unfortunately can't yeah. do that with, uh, with Shopify, um, which would be nice, but Why is that? It, they just don't support it. So they only do month to month on the billing API. Mm. I guess there must be some reason behind it. It's not a technical thing. No, no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, they, they support paying for their product per year. So I'm not sure. Oh. Yeah. So it must be like an ideological thing that it could be yeah i i asked them about it at the uh, they have a developer conference every year it's actually coming up uh, or it's on uh, april 20 20th 21st i think um in san francisco where all the partners sort of come over and, and they release new features and things and i asked them in one of the sessions um, but i didn't really get an answer to be honest so um i'll ask them again <laughs> so so that brings us into the events part of my question um so the community aspect and events are very strong and important in the wordpress community yeah so if you could give us a picture of what happens in terms of community and events and the shopify space hmm. yeah so last year was actually the first time that they held the the unite they call it unite um conference and and there was amazingly like 700 uh, people there which is which is pretty good i think for a first year conference and that really sort of helped to, you learn a few names, you know, I'm sure there's people in the, the WordPress space that you sort of know the name of if, mm-hmm. if people mention them. Yeah. There's people like that in on Shopify as well. But otherwise, it's really on, on Twitter, um, things like that. Uh, they've got some great Facebook groups as well, which is sort of a mix of merchants and Shopify partners. Um, they've got Slack channels where, where you can jump on and ask each other questions and things like that. I know of a, a couple others here in uh, Copenhagen that are doing it. Uh, we've met up a few times. But yeah, it, I guess for somebody that sort of, you know, I'm working on my own every day. I wish there was a little bit more community. Um, I'm really looking forward to to April. And, and maybe it's because, you know, in-person community, I guess, is, is what I'd like. Um, I was just in Dublin, actually, uh, last month. I was asked by, by a partner over there to come over and, and, and talk at, uh, at one of their Shopify meetups, which is a great thing that, that Shopify started doing all over the place, um, where you can... Well, they basically invite it to to some different talks, uh, whether it's partners or other merchants, sort of giving giving advice and things like that. And that that was a really good thing uh, to get over and meet people in person and and sort of have, you know, uh, a couple of beers together at the end of the night and and yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, more of that. <laughs> so yeah. one of the most important things about WordPress, in my opinion, or like for for me, is apart from having given the freedom to work from anywhere to so many of us. Mm. The community aspect is really something very important within the WordPress community, you know? Yeah. So there's like meetups in most cities, I would guess. Yeah. And there's two big WordCamps that happen, one in Europe and one in the US. Mm. Plus we have many tons of WordCamps happening and like each country has its own WordCamp or multiple WordCamps. Yeah, okay. Um, so like living in, I've just moved to Spain in January. So here I've already been to two word camps. Okay. And I, I think there are five and all. So there are lots of things happening and it's easy to go there because, you know, 
Europe is easier to travel or the US. They have tons of word camps there. There are word camps in Japan and India. So it's all over the place. I've also made friends through WordPress. Like when I was living in Thailand, the first friends I made were through a WordPress meetup. Ah, so yeah, it, it's just this. It's uh, there's the business side of WordPress, and then there's the community aspect, which is really nice. Yeah, so. and I think I have the same way. I mean, I I love what I do, so so you know my interests are within what I what I work with, right? Um, so being able to mm-hmm. sit down with people and and talk about these things is fantastic. It's also one of the things that I really liked about uh, coming on here and, and talking about it, right? Is maybe not yeah. not my sort of usual community, but but you should always expand your your community right yeah for sure yeah it was one of my my sort of missions for this this year as well is to get into you know uh, going to more meetups going to different events uh doing these type of things um, so it's been been a good start to the year at least just curious how's the tech scene in copenhagen it's it's pretty good i mean i i can't say i'm really a, a big part of it i i kind of stay out of the whole startup uh, race i'm i'm not one that wants to build a company with you know 400 people and take over the world <laughs> um but I, I know quite a few people that that do things within technology obviously the company i worked for before was was very much into technology um it's a bank but it's it's very much you know 90 percent technology um mm-hmm. and then also uh you know people doing different little ideas um from uh, guys doing a, a shoe company um, but doing it obviously online and and all the the different media that they create for it, video and and stuff like this and facebook and yeah I, it's i think it's growing really well here in uh, in copenhagen at least uh I, yeah I'm, I'm not that huge a part of it though yet um i like to keep you know yeah i'm also like you i'm more of a lifestyle entrepreneur but I've noticed that since moving to Barcelona, I'm much more inspired since there are so many meetups and things happening. Yeah. Which, although most of it is startup based and like you said, I'm not interested in just going into the startup space. I'm more into bootstrap stuff. Yeah. There is definitely the benefit of being in some, in a place which is so buzzing and connected with ideas and people being enthusiastic about things compared to just where I was before in Malta where things are more laid back. Yeah. And there aren't really any opportunities of this kind. Hmm. So. Yeah. To be honest, and I guess I have it the same way, like you, you're thinking with the, the bootstrap and, and that's what I haven't discovered that much of. Um, and that's why I like the Shopify community in that sense, because a lot of the people have that same idea, at least the people building apps that I know of. A good conference for you might be microconf. Yeah, I've, I've read about that a few times. Yeah, I've read. Um, there's a guy that takes excellent notes every year, um, a German fellow, yeah. I think, uh, and I've read that quite a few times. And uh, yeah, it definitely looks like one of the ones I want to do. Yeah. So there's one in the US and one in Europe, which is usually held in Barcelona, conveniently. Ah, enough, so. perfect. <laughs> Have to come but visit. Yeah, it's, it's really good, actually, and it was more SaaS focused. Okay. Um, so there weren't many people doing WordPress. Maybe there were three people and all. Yeah. But it was it was really nice because you've got these people who are either solo owners or entrepreneurs. Yes. Yeah. A lot of focus on lifestyle more than the startup kind of thing. Yeah. It's one of those things uh, I've actually been struggling with. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I, I do this on, on my own, but but doing more and more support as well. And yeah, hey, that was my next question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um <laughs> Yeah, and I, I just really want to try and reduce the amount of support I'm doing because obviously I'm not achieving the other goals that I'd like to do in, you mm-hmm. know, building further out on some of my apps or, um, you know, spending more time marketing or things like that. 
um, and okay, do I hire someone and then start, you know, uh, having a real company? I guess you could say I, that's how I see it when you hire someone, um, or do I try and outsource it? And what's that going to be like and, and things like that? Um, I haven't really found the answer yet, but uh, I thought I'd start by doing uh, a lot better help sites for my products um, and, and sort of making those a lot more visible. So maybe I can answer, you know, a lot of the questions that people have before they come to me. Um, that obviously won't solve the, the, the time problem um, completely, but I, I think it should reduce it to a to level that, uh, mm. that makes it a bit more manageable. I mean, at the moment, I may be spending, you know, three, four hours a day on, on support or, you know, and sometimes, you know, you get a, a support question where you go, oh, well, yeah, I'll just fix that now. And then you spend an hour coding something up or, or whatever. And, and by the end of the day, you haven't got to the other tasks that you were sort of thinking about doing. Yeah. So and in and, and my case, I've also started as a solo entrepreneur. I was a digital nomad for six years. So I was traveling mm-hmm. from place to place. Ah, cool. And I think one of the best decisions for me was to hire person to do support okay that's actually so so you mentioned something interesting like you said you're a bit anxious about hiring someone because you don't want to go into like startup or real company route and i think that's like it's not a fear that you should have in your case because hiring a support dev a support person doesn't mean that you're becoming a startup or you're becoming a very like serious company it's just going to be super beneficial because you get rid of like if you're doing four hours i i bet you can get rid of at least three of those yeah and that will free you up to do other things plus support when the guy gets used to you know answering questions he'll probably become better than you than in doing it yeah and yeah i i, I think for me it's the, it was the best hire we've we've done we are six now people so okay wow and did you do I, that remotely I, then or is that somebody that's sort of uh, coming yeah in we're to... all yeah we're all remote okay um so I still believe in lifestyle business 100%. Yeah. And without having done these hires, I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. Okay. So I would be working 10, 12 hours a day just maintaining the business, let alone growing it. Yeah, that's right. And that's where I don't want to end up. But uh, I guess I also have, a, a, how would you say, a bar that I set for myself in customer service, especially on Shopify, because, you know, uh, your, your reviews are everything. You know, you need to give good support. Yeah. Um, for one, to make you know, make sure people are happy with your product. Two, because they are more likely to leave reviews, which gets you new customers, gets you higher in the app store. Um, so I guess I have, you know, part of it is is a fear of giving up that control of you know making sure that people get the exact right answers uh, and giving mm. great support, right? Um, and then spending the time to to teach them properly. Uh, obviously, you need to do that at some point, but uh, is yeah. is finding it's the, the same right thing yeah. for us with with reviews. Since we have a freemium product, people first hear of us through the WordPress repo, hmm. which is all about how much, how many reviews we've got and whether we've got the five star rating or 4.5 rating. Yeah, it's the same on Shopify. Uh, yeah. That's mostly based on support and the product obviously being good enough. Yeah. But the funny thing that I found um, was like when I, I had the same obstacles in my head when hiring support people. Uh, first of all, whether they would be able to speak or type English yeah. as good as I do. And secondly, how they would treat the customers. And if I had to go now into the support system and see the answers, I'm like, there's no way I would have done it so well. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> I just don't have the patience anymore. First yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Yeah, well, so you'd be surprised. Like after a few years doing support, you just you're burnt out. Yeah, yeah. When you, someone new comes in, he's just got this energy that he does it better than you. True. It's like, yeah, absolutely. I think the only thing that saves me really is uh, having lots of uh, sort of canned replies. I guess is mm. making them personal, obviously, but but having you know quick ways to to write up a lot of uh, instructions or something like that, and those are, are gold worth. But yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, you know. Uh, an ongoing barrage of, of emails and support questions. They, they do get to you, but I think it's a matter of, you know, remembering it's not their fault, you know, they, either I should make my, my product easier to use or, or you know, uh, explain it better, I think. It's also one of those things... It's nice, yeah. Sorry, one of those things is, is you can't turn it off, right? So you've got these online mm. products and you, you, you can't turn it off. You, you go on holidays, you take your laptop with you, uh, you don't turn it off. The wonderful thing is you can go on holidays whenever you want and take your laptop with you. But you, you've got to realize that you're sort of, you know, you're bound to this machine <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Related to this point, what I was going to mention was that if you hire somebody like our support person, as our main support person is in Indonesia, mm-hmm. then we have other people working in support in Europe. But that gives us 24-hour coverage in terms of support rather than people having to wait for your time slot yeah and i think that's uh, yeah that's a great way to set it up i think um i think people you know i, I always try and get back to people within 24 hours uh, but obviously if they send an email to me uh, at, at five in the afternoon and i've just left they're going to wait until you know what is it you know, until the day after at least nine o'clock when i get in the office or whatever once mm-hmm. i get through through all the emails yeah all right so so I, I wanted to ask you earlier, I had uh, one of the questions was how many, how much time you spend daily on your business since it's a lifestyle business, Yeah, but I guess. <laughs> well, I mean... You're not doing so well there. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, lifestyle, lifestyle. I, I, I want uh, lots of time for my family and my kids. Um, I don't want to be doing, you know, nothing all day because I really enjoy what I'm doing, but I want it to be on in the hours that I do. I don't want to be working nights and, and things like that. I want to be spending it with my little family. Um, so drop off the kids um, and I'm in the office by about nine. And then I sort of work through to maybe three, 3.30 most days. And then I'm off uh, either, yeah, to meet the kids at home or um, we're quite lucky in that sense is we, I, I have an office which is like five minutes walk from, from home. And uh, the kids have a daycare, which is five minutes from there as well. So I can walk a little triangle in 10, 15 minutes and, <laughs> and be everywhere. But uh, yeah, so what's well, nine, nine till three, three thirty most days. Yeah, that's yeah. a good Monday to Friday. Work yeah. So yeah, I was also going to ask you about how kids have changed your way of working, but I guess that's a nice little solution that you've got there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and so it actually... Um, <laughs> The, the time that I decided to start a business on the side was actually when we had our, our first child, uh, my daughter. And a lot of the ideas, because I wanted to open an online store, a lot of the ideas were around kid stuff. Obviously, we just had a kid and all your thoughts around that. So we we're going to do en- engraved uh, dummies. I don't know, like pacifiers, I guess you call them in the US. And then, uh, yeah, we we're looking at organic baby clothes and all these type of things. It was all baby stuff. But they've, they've sort of been there since the start, which has been really good, I think, in, in keeping it, you know, if... if uh, it was just me and my wife then I'd have a lot of time to do 
to do more and i think i'd spend a lot more more time uh, mm. either reading or, or whatever and at one point um, when i was first starting out i was still learning okay how do i control the amount of time i'm actually using on on my side business right because i'd come home from work and the first thing i do is open up my laptop to see okay how many customers yeah. i got today do i have any questions and things like that so we had to make sort of a rule okay no no computer before the kids are in bed uh, or the the kid at the time but yeah it was uh, it was a good way to learn it i think uh, to get a healthy sort of balance on it mm. and so i think having an office outside your house or at least a clearly marked space in your house or apartment which says work and the other says family is very important yeah absolutely yeah and that that's the reason that's the main reason i got an office is to get out of the house and, and to have it sort of clearly separated So I've got some questions from uh, our audience. Okay. I've announced that you are coming on the show. And so maybe we could answer them briefly, obviously, because we've already taken out of your time. Yeah, sure. No problem. So, <laughs> so one of them is how to outsource to India successfully. I, I'm not sure if you're outsourcing to India specifically. Well, yes, it was India. Um, and, and like I said, my, my sort of first um, thing was, okay, can they build a quality site themselves? Um, and you can quickly see if they build a, do they link to, do they have testimonials, um, and start with something small, you know, um, if you can get somebody else to refer you to someone that they've used before, then definitely great. Um, and once I'd learned to code, obviously I wasn't using them anymore. And, and just recently I actually, uh, I was getting, you know, busy and I had a lot of plans, um, and I wanted to build a referral platform. Um, so I actually just uh, hired them again to, to do some new work for me. But I think it's a matter of, of really communicating to begin with, see if they can communicate, see if they understand what you're trying to build. Um, but I think the main thing as well is, is to write good specifications. You know, you should be able to give the, uh, a piece of paper or a Word document to somebody that they know exactly how to, how to build. And I believe you have one such specification document on your site. So yeah, it's, it's actually in that blog post. Yeah, so I, I uploaded yeah. one of my... It's actually not the one I'm most happy with because it's sort of building on an existing product. So I think it misses a lot of the, the really specific stuff. But I'll see if I can find uh, one of my other ones and put them up on the site as well because um, it's what I did at the bank for quite a while as well. So I sort of did it in a professional manner. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, really helped to, to say, when somebody clicks on this, this is what should happen. You know, when somebody does this, explain everything. The, the more you explain, the less uh, issues there'll be. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll make sure to pressure you to release that. Yeah, I've got, I've so got to find them. Share it with our audience. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I keep most of them in my head now when I'm coding myself, right? But uh, before when I had other people building them, uh, yeah, I've got some documents. So another related question is, which prototyping tool do you use? Uh, Balsamic. So it's really low resolution. Um, it's really a wireframing style app. And I like doing it at that resolution because you're not looking at too many details. You're, you're looking at functionality and, and sort of really high level layout. We used to use that one and then we switched to Azure, okay. which is more like uh, prototyping where, where you can actually click on stuff. Mm. And we found it super useful yeah. to get a better feel and explaining to our developers how things should work. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Uh, If I was working with a team or something like that, I think that would make a lot of sense. But because I, I'm building it myself, then afterwards, yeah. um, I quickly do sort of mockups just to sort of feel, okay, does this make sense? Um, do I have all the buttons I need? You know, uh, it's really more for the UI of things first and the UX, and and just on a high level, and then I'll I'll quickly build it in in Rails, uh, and then obviously polish it. 
And so I have another question, which I'm not sure you'll be able to answer. So the, the person asks um, that there are major restrictions in the Shopify API and whether you think they will be removed. I'm not sure if what specific restrictions he's uh, referring to maybe. Uh, there's there's maybe, there's a discount API that's that's restricted. There's, uh, there's something about single sign-on. They keep some of the API for their plus customers. So they have like an enterprise edition of Shopify where the customer has to have that for, for an app to be able to use that API. And I'm not sure why the, the discount API has been restricted or if that's what we're talking about here, but, but um, I hope that they open it up because it would make a lot of sense. But, but I think what they're, what they're worried about is, is uh, one volume. You, know, you can do a lot of things with discounts. Uh, you can create a lot of different types of the stuff. Um, and then also the fact that you have access to give yourself discounts from another person's store. Right? You could create discount codes for yourself and then go and buy things. I'm not sure if that's the reason, but that's the only sort of main restrictions I know of on the Shopify. There's there's API limits, of course, which is like how fast you can you can contact or how fast you can you can hit hit up their API. But I think those they just really promote good design in your application. You know, you shouldn't have to hit up their API 200 times in five seconds. You should yeah. do it in some other way. Another asks if there are any like in WordPress we have major blogs like we have WP Mayor which I which is a blog that talks about WordPress plugins and themes yeah and this person is asking if there's something similar in Shopify oh uh, Shopify has some great blogs themselves um, and they're the, really the main ones I I use them mainly for news and then yeah so so they have a you know partner specific blog um they have uh, merchant specific blogs where they really do a lot of guest posts and things like that as well so it's not just shopify sort of putting out their own things it's it's really useful information about a, a bunch of different stuff that gives good ideas as well for new new apps and things to do but other than that it's really you know i follow some people on medium and and stuff like that but uh that's more on on the technical side like ruby rails mm -hmm. uh dhh and these guys um, okay. Yeah. I guess this uh, the question also relates to whether they can find other resources like yourself, which are talking about you know the business side of building Shopify apps and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's been there's actually one guy uh, I don't know him personally, but uh, his name's Tyler Tringus, and he's been writing a book about running you know a, a micro business on on Shopify, much much like us. He, I think he's a digital nomad as well, and that he's got some really good. He's put up uh, some some chapters online and things like that. Um, I'll see if I can find the link afterwards, but uh, that's really yeah, worth a good actually, read. I, I really enjoyed his writing. I've been, I've been following him myself. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I read good it stuff. a couple of years ago. I think he put up like a beta version of his book or something like that, and now he's sort of putting out the real chapters. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I had a similar idea <laughs> a couple of years ago to, to write, you know, to write down all my experiences and different things. But then I, I found his and I thought, well, he's doing the exact same sort of thing as me. So no use writing another one. How easy is it for someone to copy a Shopify plugin? <laughs> There's a lot of them. Um, I think there is a lot of copies. Uh, I wish there was more stringent control of what type of apps get in. Or Obviously, Shopify can't be sort of the gatekeeper and saying that's a bad idea or that's a good idea. But... Um, there's some sort of blatant copies, um, but it's usually, it's like any software, you know, somebody's going to do it well and somebody's not going to do it as well. And the ones that do it well, they're generally going to be the ones that are successful. But I think you shouldn't underestimate the amount of effort it takes to make a good Shopify app as well, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of things to learn. You've got to know their platform because uh, it's really flexible. So so lots of merchants or their, their users 
have sort of weird setups and things like that. So you need to you need to know about all these different little things that happen to make a good app at least. Um, it could def- yeah. definitely be copied. Hopefully not mine. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you can't see the source code, right? So no, no. Um, unless somebody open sources something, but uh, they're not mm. likely to do that. Um, so there's another question about whether you're worried about other platforms like competing with Shopify. Obviously, we can refer to WooCommerce. And yeah. Like if there's any talk about that within the Shopify community. Um, I was like a few years ago, I guess. Um, when I built the version 2, I thought, great, I'll, go, I'll, I'll need to expand out to different platforms and things. But since then, Shopify has just been a rocket ship and it's just really taking off. So even when I started, I think maybe they had 100, 150,000 customers, 100 maybe. And now they're like three, 400,000 customers in, in the last sort of few years. So they're just really taking off. They've gone public. So they're now listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange. Um, yeah. I think, and just sort of being and reading what uh, Toby, the the guy that sort of started the whole thing and, and hearing him speak and they're in it for the long run, right? Um, and they really think about how they can innovate as well. So they're not sort of sitting back and, and so I, yeah, I guess the, the shorter answer is I'm not that worried about it. I think they're really growing and they're growing fast enough that, that we're all getting uh, mm. good revenue out of it as well building small businesses yeah. around it yeah, yeah the stop and uh, the shopify stock is actually probably a good pick for the future i've been monitoring it for quite a while now yeah I, I haven't actually looked at lots it lots of room for growth yeah i think so and, and i i looked at it when it first came out for for a while and i guess at the start it, it was sort of a bit shaky but um i think it's been going i think it's a good buy at least not that that's yeah, advice I mean, for, for anyone to go out and buy a Shopify stock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it helps if you're like someone like you who's living it every day, knows the potential more than anything else, you know. So yeah, I think most people don't really know what Shopify is. Like the, the stock investing people at large yeah. don't really are not that familiar with the company, which is why it might not be growing so fast. Yeah. But I think it's a... Knowing what we know and what you know specifically, it gives you a lot of encouraging encouragement for the future of, of, of Shopify. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, you know, there's tech companies like Facebook who, who are, you know, they're a totally different animal, right? They're after billion, billions of users yeah. and things like that, where Shopify is really just, how to say it, it's got a different payment model than most stocks, I guess, you know. So I think people find it hard to, to judge value and, and in that sense, or to understand it as well as they could maybe another company. Hmm. Yeah. So the last question we have is about dropshipping. Um, hmm. Person's wondering how much, what percentage, if you know, of your customers are dropshippers and whether you see a future for this, for dropshipping. Oh, I can't really say, to be honest. Um, I don't really know. I know dropshipping in general has been been a really on the uptick the last few years, right? But I'm, I'm part of a couple of sort of Facebook groups where it's a mix of merchants and, and partners where they can ask questions and things. And there seems to be a lot of dropshippers there, but a lot of them also have done it before and maybe moved away from it um, because it is a, uh, getting more and more saturated. There's a lot of people maybe trying to sell similar things. Um, the margins are really quite low, so you, you need to do like really high volume to make it work. Not to say that it can't be done. I That's just my feeling at least without really knowing yep. more. All right. And that's wraps it up for yeah. our audience questions cool and, oh, good yeah. questions <laughs> <laughs>
Um, yeah, thanks a lot for being with us. And if you have any like parting words for anyone interested in doing Shopify apps or how they can get in touch with you personally. Yeah, sure. So just go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's my sort of platform of choice uh, at Forsberg2. Um, or you can go to my website, forsbergplus2.com. Uh, terrible name, but uh, uh, you'll find my contact details there. It's too long. You shouldn't have symbols and numbers in your in your uh, URL. Anyway, um, how did that come into place? What's that? Yeah, well, it would, that? well, that that's again from from uh, my wife and my my first daughter. So they're the plus two. Um, we've since had a oh, son, okay. <laughs> so my wife has had to take a backseat. Plus three, then. <laughs> yeah, we, I really should change it to plus three. But uh, yeah, it's uh, plus two for now. Yeah, and any parting words? Uh, I think it's a matter of you know starting a side business doesn't have to sort of be an overnight success, or you, at least you shouldn't expect it to be. I think you know slow and steady wins the race, um, or at least it has for me, um, and I, I like that. You know, you start something on the side; it's fine to have it on the side for a long time. Um, and then when it feels right, move into it. And if it, if, yeah, if it feels right, try and go further. If, mm -hmm. if not, uh, try something else. I think it's a matter of not being scared to try. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. And we'll share, we'll share all the links in our show notes. And I encourage you to visit uh, Bjorn's blog and, you know, the resources we'll be putting up. So cool. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. And good luck with your ventures. Thank you. Thanks again to Bjorn for joining us in today's episode. We'll see you again next week. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for us, please go ahead and email us on podcast at mastermind.fm. If you like the show, please leave a five-star review in iTunes. And that's it. We'll see you again next week. Bye.